if you remember the background of these books, the author seems to be a similar author who's writing it. Now, when Nehemiah, the book starts, it uh, says that Nehemiah is the one who's, write, who's the one spoken about this or the one speaking it. So it could be that Nehemiah is speaking it and Ezra is the one who's pending it down. Um, nevertheless, in the Jewish canon, these two books are one book. Uh, they come together as one book in the Jewish canon. Uh, this book is written in a very similar format where you have three leaders who are sent out by Persian or Babylonian kings. They go, they face hardship, and then afterwards they bring in some form of renewal in the nation. So we see from Ezra chapter 1 to 6, we saw Zerubbabel who led a large group of people back to rebuild the temple. And then about 60 years later, Ezra arrived in Ezra chapter 7 to 10, where he went to teach the Torah because the people lacked the knowledge of the word of God. And then he faced hardship from people as well. And then uh, he continued to pursue, and we saw his prayer of repentance. And then afterwards, in Nehemiah, we have Nehemiah, who is now again sent by the Persian king. And he is gone, and he's gone to rebuild the wall. And we've been seeing how he has uh, faced persecution, firstly from outside, and recently we saw how this is for the first time, as a nation, they're facing issues from within themselves. There are people within themselves are robbing the others, stealing from the others, and hurting the others. The rich are preying upon the poor. And so that's something we saw. And later, when we finish in Ezra, Nehemiah 1 to 7, when we'll come back in 8 to 12, we'll see Ezra and Nehemiah together try to bring a spiritual renewal in the land and ask them to covenant before God. And then afterwards, as they go into the nation, they see that the people are breaking this covenant. And uh, then they encourage them again to come back to God. And they come back to God. Last week, or the week before last, because last week Nathan spoke from Acts, we saw that there was a great outcry in the city. The city was crying out to God. The Israelites, who were mostly farmers, all of them had gathered in Red Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, and they're all working together as a nation to build the wall. And simultaneously, there's a time of famine. So none of them are able to trade with their nations around them. They're all busy building the wall. While this is going on, the governors before Nehemiah and all the other servant leaders who are basically all Israelites, what they were doing were taxing heavily the people, robbing them, and also some of them had sold their lands and given so much money that they had nothing more to give that now they had sold their own sons and daughters into slavery. And we saw that in the law, the law forbid for a Jew to tax high income, especially on another poor Jew. Or even to have another as a slave, but you can have them as someone to work in their house, but not as slaves. And so we saw that they were breaking all of this law. The only reason was for their selfish gain. And Nehemiah confronts the sin. And the ones who were doing it were all the leaders, the governors and the officials. Those were the ones who were breaking the law of God. And Nehemiah confronts their sin, and they're willing to repent and turn back. And towards the end, Nehemiah says, if you do not turn back, then God's wrath is going to pour, be poured upon you. And that is where we stopped, and that is where we are going to continue from.
The main point of today's passage is that godly leaders serve the best interests of the people and not themselves. Godly leaders serve the best interests of the people and not themselves, especially in times of crisis. It's a pretty long main point. Godly leaders serve the best interests of the people and not themselves, especially in times of crisis. And the first point we can see, and this is a little uh, different because Nehemiah goes back and forth. So we see from 14, verse 14 and 15b, that's the second part of verse 15, and all the way till verse 19. So except for 15a, everything else speaks of Nehemiah and him acting as a governor. And the first point, so from there we can see that leaders who serve for the interests of the people. Leaders who serve for the interests of the people. Nehemiah was appointed as a governor of Judah, and he was a governor of Judah for 12 years. The text says that very clearly in the start as we see it. In all his time as he was a governor, and as he worked, he, ate the, he did not eat the food of allowance that the governor got. So as a governor, he got an allowance from uh, the Persian government, the Babylonian government, which ruled over them, to take an allowance of the food. And Nehemiah did not take that. We need to ask, why did he do that? Why did he not take this allowance? And one can just read this and come to many conclusions. One can say that, well, leaders are not to be paid, or well, you, well, if you're working as a Christian, then you should not receive any allowance. Those are some of the conclusions that we can come to. But we can see in the text and understand why he did not take an allowance. The answers to this is not in verse 14, but it's in verse 18b, where he repeats the same phrase again. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because, remember the word because gives you the reason or the cause, the service was too heavy on the people. That means his taking of this allowance, especially in this time of poverty, when the country is broken, where people are lost, when they are poor, would put them deeper into more poverty, deeper more into losses. And therefore he chose not to take an allowance as a governor because he did not want to do what the previous people did, lay heavy burdens. Now, of course, what they did was not only take the allowance, they did much more than that. We'll come back to that later. But he refrained from financially taking what he had to get uh, or even in terms of the grain and wine and everything that he was to receive from the government as an allowance, so that this will not be something that will burden the people. And so he did not want to add to the burden that was already there on the people. And they were all there sacrificially building the wall for the nation. And he cared for his people. Godly leaders are not selfish. They sacrificially lay down their lives for their people. And as Christian godly leaders, wherever we are, maybe as husbands at home or in your workplaces, the world emulates something different, but we emulate something from the God's word, from what God's word teaches us. And the reason we do that is because Christ himself has done that for us. Christ, our king, and our God, who has 
been there from the start, through whom all things have been created, came to serve and not to be served. And then how can we do that then? How can we lay heavy burdens on people? How we can rob people? How can we make people go through pain and suffering just for our own good? Maybe if Israel was at a better time, financially and in terms of stability, then him to take that allowance would be right. But at this point, he seemed it is not right. And I think that's something we need to understand. There are times and seasons where you have to make sacrifices, and especially as leaders, you will have to make sacrifices. I'm sure as Indians, you'll have seen that in your houses, right? If you'll have gone through a time of poverty, if you've gone to a time when there's not much food to eat, who's the people in your house that eat the less? The children or the parents? Normally it's the parents and normally, oftentimes it's the mother who wants to sacrifice. Even when there's lots of food, she still wants to sacrifice. Uh, Indian mothers are little distinguished that way where even if there's enough food at home, they'll still try to like uh, say, no, you can take mine even if there's enough. But so we see that something, is, that's something we see in our culture, which is one of the good aspects. I'm not saying Indian culture is the best in the world. Uh, all cultures are fallen. Last week, some of us were discussing it, some of the young men, whether it's Western culture or Indian culture, Eastern culture, all cultures are fallen. All cultures need to be redeemed by God's word, and therefore we follow God's word. We don't follow Western culture, nor do we follow. That's why you might turn on your YouTube, and you'll find a Christian preacher who's preaching God's word, very good, excellent, but some of it may not be relevant to your culture over here, and so you need to understand some of it needs to be filtered according to our understanding. And we've spoken about it when we've spoken about manhood and womanhood and marriage and some other things. Now I want to come to the second point, but I want to, we will go back to the first point later because I want to draw a contrast between Nehemiah and the previous governors. Now remember, these previous general or governors were not Zerubbabel or Ezra because they were governors as well. There was almost a period of 100 years or 60 years before between these other people, these two governors, godly men, and Nehemiah. Between those, there were generals who basically robbed the people of Israel, were Israelites themselves. The second point we can see in verse 15a is that selfish leaders serve their own interests in times of crisis. Selfish leaders serve their own interests in times of crisis. So Nehemiah, nor those below him, ate from the food of allowance for the governor. So all of them got allowance, Nehemiah and the people who worked below him. But none of them took the allowance. But the previous government, or the governors, laid heavy burdens on the people. And in what form are these heavy burdens? We saw some of it last week, right? In forms of heavy interests. They gave the money and they said you have to, if the bank takes 10% interest or 9% interest or 7% interest as home loans, these guys were taking 20-25% interest. And not only that, some of them had given all their lands and everything and had nothing more to give and then they had, when they had put heavy burdens on them by having their sons and their daughters being their own slaves. While God was at work to set the nation of Israel and we would be part of the nation of Israel free 
from slavery and the bondage of sin. Here, sin was bringing them back into slavery. The work of the enemy was to bring them back into sin and slavery. Every time selfish men or leaders rule, wicked people, when they rule, they will bring the nations back into sin and slavery. They would make sure the work of the enemy moves further. Now with all that in mind, what we understand is that they are working for their prosperity, not for the nation's prosperity. What Nehemiah was trying to do is that the nation would grow and they will get at a better place. But these fellows didn't have anything of that in mind. All their men, all that was set in their mind was their own selfish prosperity and interest, especially in a hard time. Now, for example, there's fire in this room. Some of you might from this end jump on everyone, walk and run away. If, if you did that, what, what, what do you think everyone is going to say of you? What a strong man. He jumped over everyone and ran away. What a weak man. You should have gone and faced the brunt of this, or rather help put of the fire, but you ran away. And so sometimes this is exactly what these guys are doing. It's a time of poverty when people are lost, there's no money. Uh, we went through the pandemic, many of us, thank God as a nation, many of us in our church, no one was in need. And as a church, we were helping others around us. Uh, we got to know of people, Christians who were stranded in Mumbai, and we could provide through them in different ways. Thank God that he didn't put us in this kind of situation. But God at times may send people within our churches who may need help. Would we look out for them? Would we watch over them? Or would we press them down and move further? Or would we just look at our own interests? You see, it's not that they were going out there to make the others feel less. Selfishness works in such a way that it shuns the door and shuts the door to everyone else. So they really don't even know that others are in need. And so you might think that, well, actually, I don't know people in the church who are suffering. It could be because you've shut your heart to even know what the sufferings of people in your church are, in our church are. And so that could be one reason. But not only did the leaders work this way, the servants who worked under them lorded over those who were poor. They lorded it over the fellow Israelites. This was completely wrong and completely contrary to what God has taught us. We can see from Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 to 28, in what Jesus tells us. So you have these two disciples who want to sit one on the left and the right. And when others hear of this, they get really upset. And Jesus is speaking about this to the disciples, Matthew 20, verse 24 to 28. When the ten heard this, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be amongst you, but whatever or whoever is great among you must be servants, and whoever would be first among you must be slaves. Even as the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served and to give his land life a ransom for many. 
Jesus is saying, just like I came to serve, that is what you are to do. He's saying that's what the Gentiles do. You who are in Christ do not work like the Gentiles. You are to be different than them. You are not to exercise authority over other people. Not authority in terms of lording it over, making them feel lesser, making them feel under you. But lovingly leading, sacrificial leading. You know, when I studied in school, uh, we had leaders in the class every month. Uh, we were a small school. It was a Christian school. Uh, so uh, in my class, I think we was, well, when we were max, I think we were eight of us. So we had one leader every month. And we were known as servant leaders. Not just leaders, but servant leaders. And the reason why we were called servant leaders, because we had to lead in serving. So before the next class comes, we had to make sure the board was wiped, the, the, the classroom was set in place, so that when the teacher comes, she's ready to uh, leave the class. We had to make sure everyone is sitting in place, mainly the servant leader themselves are sitting and asking everyone, could we sit in place, so that when the teacher came, uh, we can do it. Now, I must say that when I was a servant leader, I was not the best servant leader. Uh, I think the, my wicked, sinful side of me got the best of me many times. Uh, and I gave it a hard time for my teachers. But nevertheless, what was inculcated to me at a young age from a Christian school was that leadership is not a matter of only terms of moving ahead and uh, something that you derive from your own strength. It is servant leadership. And the principle of that is directly from the scripture itself. This is what Jesus says, right? First among you must be a slave. Even as a son of man has come to serve and not to be served. And so our ultimate source is to look and reflect Christ himself. And then apart from school, as I grew up, when uh, I was in the sound team in the church, many of our worship leaders would come and we would, uh, back then in Vasai, we would meet. So I would travel from here to Vasai. Some of them would come from Virar to Vasai, from different places they would come and uh, the place through five days of the week was a glass uh, making and glass cutting and glass selling uh, go down. And so we would go on a Saturday, swap the place, sweep the place and set up the whole church. Uh, many of us come here, this place is already set up, only we have to set up the sound. But um, over there, nothing was there, it was all dirty and messed up. And you had, you had to make sure that there's no pieces of glass lying around and so we saw our worship leaders come and do it and so we also went and we worked with them and then when we came here in Mira Road I saw my parents oftentimes sweep and swap the floor biblical leaders do not start up down that's how it works in the world in the world you are recognized because you have a special gift in you and therefore you are put as a leader and therefore they make you work ahead but in the church we work by serving if you are not serving, you cannot lead. You shouldn't be leading if you're not serving. That's why uh, when we've done our membership classes, I've said, right? Leaders, leaders are recognized by the church because they're already working in that role. And the church sees and they says, well, this is a brother who's discipling people. This is a sister who longs and yearns that people grow in the word. And if someone is not doing that, they should not be put as leaders. 
because then we are just encouraging their own sin and that is not a biblical concept we don't see that in the bible and so here we saw that even the generals not only them the generals did not give any right examples for those under them and so because they did not lead rightly those under them did not lead rightly as well men as fathers if you do not lead your family rightly then your children will grow up men who will not know how to love their wives and not know how to lead their families rightly if you do not lead them in prayer and in the word in your family then your sons and your daughters will grow up without knowing how to lead their wives and their sons and their daughters in god's word and so a question that we can ask ourselves what type of leadership have we modeled in the church in our house in our workplaces what type of leadership is it is it like nehemiah who's willing to put on and sacrificially live or is it like these other men who were lording it over were trying to just make their own ends meet and looking at themselves who are selfish praise be to god no matter how you led no how weak or strong you are you can still look at christ and find hope in him christ gives us hope in that in him all our past sins are forgiven and you can go and repent to him and in him you can find hope in how to lead just like he led us even to the point of death that is how godly leaders lead and so i want to come back to the next point or the first point which we were looking at before and i want to say that biblical leadership therefore is servant leadership and i'm going to be stressing on this because this is important and this is important especially because amongst all the weak things that they did over there all the three sins that they did over there i think as a church one of our weaknesses is that in this servant leadership you know so many times the church is finished and there's just one person packing away everyone else is so busy in our conversations or there's just one sister who's serving and others all busy in your conversations it is because you could be blind to your own self and then you see these aspects of servant leaders amongst us ourselves maybe even younger than you who are doing it men and women we can learn and god has put people within ourselves whom we can learn and where we can grow and we can become better to become more like christ not that we can become better because we are better but because we are to become more like christ jesus because that is what he has done for us we also saw that the generals laid heavy taxes and interest on the poor and on the israelites and they took from their daily rations so they had their own uh, special quota that was given from the government but they also took from the rations of the poor what kind of wicked men were these you know while i worked in the church as an admin for many years uh many years back this is um i think i worked for around 4 years i saw pa- pastors lend money to poorer people and charge interest three times that of the bank and when the poor men or the women who lived in slums could not pay them they made them feel like rubbish i saw men who led halfway homes where uh, women were rescued from prostitutions and brought back to be rehabilitated into society this is like 
women who have been 15, 20 years into prostitution. They are already in their 40s, they are old, their bodies look that of a 70-year-old woman, uh, they, their bodies have been abused, many of them have contracted AIDS, and now they've taught them some kind of skill, maybe tailoring and other things, and so they start working, and they get a small amount of money. Back then it was like five, 6,000 rupees. And these guys who would lead those groups would tell them, well, we'll start a chit fund, you can all put the money in, and we can take that money and it'll increase. Whenever you all need it, I'll give it back to you. Taken that money and disappeared. These are within the church. I'm giving examples not from the world, but from within the church. Just like what was happening in Israel. People who knew the word of God, rebelling against the word of God himself, cheating their own people, enslaving their own people. I pray that none of us are like that. I pray that none of us were like that or none of us have done something like that. And if you, seated over here, have been cheated or been, uh, have been hurt in this kind of way by other fellow Christians, I pray that you would forgive them and leave, as the word of God says, vengeance is mine. And God will rightly deal with those people. Many of those ladies are not living today. Uh, some of them passed away a few years back. But it is sad to understand that men in the church, women in the church, who know the word of God, can still act so wickedly. It shows us the deep sin that comes from our hearts when we do not have Christ and when we do not have the gospel. And, but Nehemiah was unlike these other generals. He was different. You know why? Not because he was any better. Nehemiah was a fallen sinner too. Verse 15b tells us why. Because of the fear of the Lord. Nehemiah had it in his heart to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord dwelt in the heart of Nehemiah. Godly leaders who fear God would exercise love and care for the lost. Men and women who fear the Lord will exercise godly leadership. Men who fear the Lord will exercise God-fearing leadership. They would understand that there's someone above them who they are accountable to, that they are not leaders out of their own strengths, but it is something that is given to them by God, a stewardship of a work here in temporal ways. So men, if you're leaders at work, if you're leading at home, or even sisters, if you're leading outside in the world, wherever you are, understand that this is a stewardship of a gift that God has given you to steward rightly, just as Christ has portrayed you to do it. It is not something that you have achieved out of your own strengths. And I want to remind us here of what Peter reminds, especially to when he talks about leadership with elders and pastors. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2 to 3, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. We know what harm the prosperity gospel has done to our nation because of same shameful gain. But eagerly, and here verse 3, not domineering over those in charge, but what? 
but being examples to the flock. Some, some translation says, not lording it over them. But or in some translations, understanding as under shepherds, that there is a great shepherd who we look to. And then so we lovingly serve, selflessly serve. And in all of us, we have to serve in different ways, in different measures. God has called us in the church, in your house, in the workplaces, and nothing is too small. And I've said this before, right? In the world, uh, your work defines who you are. That's how the world looks at you. We were speaking about some of the other things this week. If you're an English church in India, it means ho, little up there. Hindi church, little lower down here. If you are a church with 200 people, better church. If you're a church with 30 people, weaker church. These are not biblical principles. Likewise, in the world as well, if you are an accountant, you're a better person. If you're a sweeper, you're a little lower down the rank. We may not have casteism as a problem here in Mumbai, but of course, the systems around us give these hierarchies, which we might bring into the church as well. We need to leave this outside. We should not even practice this outside. This should not be amongst you, is what Jesus said. This is not how you are to be and how you lead, but we all are to serve and lead. And so while the previous generals led badly, what Nehemiah did was he served and he worked. That's a good thing you see that he worked. He actually built the wall. The previous guys did nothing. There was no building of the wall happening. Nehemiah started building a wall and he started building a wall without taking from land from the other Israelites. He didn't say, give me part of your land so that I can build this wall. He didn't do anything of that sort. He started building the wall and he worked. And when he worked, it says that all of his servants gathered with him and they worked along with him. So he set the standard. Not only did they not take allowance, but they also worked. Godly leaders work for the task that God has set them to work in. If you are at work and you are to work and you're playing video games, you're not working. If you are at work and you're on WhatsApp chatting with people, you're not working. Godly leaders are product. Now, I know I think some of the issues with some of our people is on the other end, and we're so dedicated to work that uh, we forget that we have a home and family to go to, that we have other responsibilities. But I think there should be a good balance between all of these things, be it at home or in the workplace or in church, godly leaders serve faithfully. And I think was, as, as what we should also see is we should see the suffering amongst us. Nehemiah saw the suffering amongst them. And what did he do? Verse 18. Each day, food for 150 people prepared on whose expense? Nehemiah's expense. Remember, he was a cupbearer at Artaxerxes' palace. He was had a good job. He saved his money and he used his own saving to help the people so that they would have food to eat and that they may work. Some of the food, uh, what's mentioned over there, it sounds like a good meal, like a party going on there almost every day. All of it was from 
Nehemiah's expense. While the other leaders were enslaving people, Nehemiah was sacrificially giving to the people. It is the church's responsibility to help the weak within the church, to find the weak in the church, so that we as a church can get better even in terms of financial backgrounds. It is the church, church's responsibility to help members within the church find better jobs if they have no jobs. Or there are people who do not, uh, are struggling, who are poor, to help them to get back into society. What are ways we can help those within ourselves? So we are to help spiritually, to nurture and care and disciple and all those things, but we also have to help in providing in the needs of the people amongst us. James speaks about this in 2, James chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. If a brother or sister is poor, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving to them the needs of the body, what is that good? So also faith by itself, which does not have works, is dead. You know, many of us Christians are very super holy. And so when someone comes to you and says, brother, I've lost my job, I'm suffering, uh, my, my family is in need, and we are going through a hard time, would you pray for us? We say, yeah, surely we'll pray for you, and you pray for them. And that's it, that's where everything else ends. But I think it's good that we ask, how can we help you? How can we care for you? How can we provide for you? How can I help you find a job maybe? What are the ways that we can help for those suffering within our church? You know, in the world, everyone is trying to build their own lives, make a better life living here, so that they can find better jobs, have bigger cars and bigger homes. And because somewhere their home is here, especially those who are lost, their home is here in the world. We know our home is not here, it is somewhere else. And so even if we care for those who are lost, uh, for those who are amongst us who are in need, we are called by God to do that. You know, many people talk about social justice, about whether church should do social justice for outside and all those kind of things. But too often we fail about caring those within ourselves, the poor within our own church, the weak within our own church. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we as a church caring for those amongst us? Do we first know the suffering in our church? Do we know those who are going through hardships and trial within our church? If we do not know that maybe you're living like the general selfish lives, only looking at your own interests. I know maybe you're not taking their provision, but you're not also aiding, you're not helping. Godly leaders make sure that the people are well provided in their community. They are self-sustained, just like Nehemiah, but also they make sure that there is sustainment for the community at large. What Nehemiah was doing was trying to work together that the whole nation of Israel will be self-sustained again. And in whatever he had, he was trying to make sure that people would come back to normal. So I want to go back to the start. 
uh, something that I said, which because Nehemiah quotes that again at the end. He says twice in this text, he does not take from the provision of the people. So that does not mean that leaders are not to be paid or people who work are not to be paid just because they're working in a Christian organization or working as Christians. We see in Luke 10, verse 7, when Jesus sends out the 12, he says, remain in the house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide you for the laborer deserves his wages. Who's eating and saying this to? When he sends out the first 12 disciples to go preach the gospel. Do not go from house to house, but stay in one house and eat and drink what they give you for the laborer deserves his wages. Quoting from the Old Testament, Matthew 10:10, 10, 10, take no bag for the road or tunic or sandal or staff for the worker is worthy of his wages. Again, we see that through the Gospels, Jesus instructing that. Jesus himself was provided. Many of you think that Jesus had no, no one providing him. Jesus himself had people providing and giving towards him when he was doing the work of his ministry. Luke chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirit and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Susa, Herod's household's manager, and Susanna and many others who were provided for them out of their own means. Provided for Jesus and the disciples when they were on the ministry. Did you notice the names over there? Most of them women. Oftentimes it's, it's the same in the church sometimes. It's a woman leading in the front trying to do these things. It should be the men who are to lead, who are to do these things in acts of services. And then again in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 to 18. So likewise, it's a biblical principle that all who work are to be paid. And so the leader is to be provided. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 to 18. Let the elders who rule well among you be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and the teaching for the word. For scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out its grain and the labor deserves the wages. Paul here quotes two Old Testament scriptures to say that those who teach in the church, those who are elders among you, must deserve his wages. And so we need to make sure that as a church, we are working towards that in some way, because the scripture commands us. We need to make sure that if there are people who come and work in our houses, or people who, where we serve, if you're working in Christian organizations, for some reason, people think if you're working in a Christian organization, you should be paid less. If you're working in the world, you should be paid more. But if you're working in the church or in any Christian organization, you should be paid less. Is the economy dropping for the people who are working in Christian organizations? No, it's still the same, right? The needs and the requirements are still there. But I'm thankful that one thing that we can learn from here is, is that godly leaders serve and give even their life just like Christ has shown us. They are focused on something bigger than their personal gains. They want the church to grow and will give for the church to grow. They are focused on servant leaders are those who are just like Christ, but they're looking not for their own interests, but they look for the greater value that the church grows to become more like Christ. And as we're looking towards closing towards the end, 
let us examine ourselves. Whether are we serving our own selfish interests? Are we blinded to the needs of the people around us? Do we care for the interests of Christ and the church? Or maybe some of you may be going through a hard time because someone has been just like these ungodly leaders who have hurt you or who have robbed from you or stolen from you, who have cheated you. Would you forgive them? Would you look to God? And would you know that God watches over your life and has seen and taken notice of this struggle that you've gone through or this hardship that you've gone through? The generals put heavy burdens on the poor just like Satan had put heavy burdens of sin on us while we were lost in sin, while we were enslaved. Nehemiah here in the text is a type of Christ who has come to redeem the people of Israel. But Christ is even greater than Nehemiah. He not only redeemed who are, who, we who are entangled in sin, but he also took that sin upon him own self and he bore the consequences for that sin. He suffered and he died and he rose again and he overcame sin and death and now he's standing victoriously at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. If you are in Christ, you can look to him and find hope. If you are saved or if you find yourself in some of these sins that we spoke about, you can look to Christ and repent and find hope in him. Maybe you do not know Christ this morning and you are here. Or maybe you've heard of Christ or you've gone to church all your life, but your life does not look like this, sacrificially living for the needs of others. You've always lived for your own selfish interests, individualistic Christian life. Would you repent and come to Christ? For he, is, he welcomes you. Through him there is always a way while you are here. Now, the scripture says, is the time for you to repent. There will be a time when you die and you go before God and you will stand on the day of judgment. And on that day, there will be no repenting. The wrath of God that was poured on Christ, who took the punishment for his children, will be poured upon you on that day. And you will face the righteous wrath of God. But if you repent and if you come to him, there is hope. And let's pray that we would be faithful leaders. Thank God for Christ, that because of him, that we are being allowed in his presence, that we have received this gift of eternal life, that we've received to know what it is to be faithful leaders. And it may be if some of you have lived selfishly, then repent before God. Join with me in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning as a church and as, you, as your people. And Lord, we want to say, forgive us for oftentimes we've been selfish. Just like the other generals at times as leaders, we've lorded over other people. As Christians, we thought we are better than those who are unsaved. As fathers and as mothers and as leaders, wherever you place us, maybe in the church, as a pastor and in other places, we've often fallen and failed and sinned. But we thank you, Lord, that we can look to Christ, who's the perfect image, who's the perfect, who's walked in our right, pla right place, Lord, who walked righteously before us. Help us to look to him and find our righteousness in him. 
And Lord, we ask for forgiveness and through your Holy Spirit who lives in us, would you help us to become more like your son Jesus? Would you help us to walk in righteousness and in truth? And I pray that you would help us, especially from this text, to be alive and to understand the needs of those who are suffering amongst us. Maybe not suffering in terms of physical needs, but there might be many who are suffering spiritually. Oh Lord, would we help out and reach out to those people and care for their needs. Just like you in Christ has saved us, help us to long to serve them as well. And help us to understand the concept of servant leadership, which you have showed us as Christ, whose King above all came to serve us, wretched sinners. Lord, as we go back home this week, I pray that we would find strength in your word to live each day. And I pray that you would encourage us to pour out our life in the lives of others so that your name would be glorified, so that your church will be built, so that we will be built on the rock of Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.